Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Mwella. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 25. Now, we won't go there right away. There's an introduction, and you guys know how my introductions go. (laughs) Yes. And so we will get there shortly. Well, maybe not shortly, but we will get there. But you can open up to Matthew 25, and then what you can do is you can just kind of keep your hand there, and um, we will get there. Uh, Just an introduction. For the last month or so, since the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we have been um, doing a sermon series called um, Hope is on His Way. And we have been celebrating the season of Advent. So this evening, we conclude our Advent Hope is on His Way series. And I believe tonight's message is the most crucial message of the entire series. So you made it on the right night. So if you didn't hear any other messages, it's okay. You made it on the right night. I believe tonight's message is the most crucial. Now, I don't have time to recap the entire story. You can go to the app for that. We have an app, and you can go there and download our sermons, our messages. You can go to our website. We have our sermons up there. But I do want to catch you up to speed so you can understand just a little bit about what Advent is. For some of you, this will be a recap. For others, hopefully you are informed and enlightened. So the word Advent just comes from the Latin word Adventus, and the Greek word is parousia, and it just means coming. It means the coming. So when the church observes Advent, all we are doing is making room to tell the story of the Old Testament and how the faithful saints in the Old Testament were praying, prophesying, and longing for a Messiah. And by sharing the long preparation for the Messiah's first coming, the church renews her passion and awareness for the Messiah's second coming. You see, the Messiah's first advent was Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. And that was when our Messiah first came to us as a baby. But I want you to know as a church, there's another coming. There is another longing and waiting that we are stepping into, and that is the time when Jesus Christ will come back for his church. We are standing in a very unique time in human history. Whether you want to believe it or not, you are in a unique time in human history. We are in the between stage. We are in between the fulfilled promise of Christ's first coming as a baby in a manger And the yet-to-be-fulfilled promise of his second coming. You see, the first time he came as a cute, cuddly little baby. The second time he will come as a conquering king. And some oddly call this unique time that the church is in. We are basically, as a church, we are in the already but not yet of history. So like Israel... In the Old Testament, they will look back at their deliverance from Exodus. And at looking back at that deliverance, they will long for another deliverance. Like Israel in the Old Testament, the church now looks back at Jesus' first coming and longs for that coming again. Are you with me? 
Let me make this profound statement. I saw this quote, and I thought it was amazing. The promise for Israel and the promise for the church is Jesus Christ. He has come, and he will come again. That is the essence of Advent. And I love the way the author of Hebrews describes the Old Testament saints because it's almost like he's describing the church as well. Listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 11, 13 through 16, the author writes this. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. How many of you know as a Christian you are a stranger on this land? All right, well, maybe one. <laughs> Scripture goes on to say, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Come on, say amen to that. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Then Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. See, you guys are getting good. Y'all need to talk back to me a little bit. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This earth is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm longing for a better country. Some of you love the United States of America. I love the United States of America, but I'm longing for something better. I'm longing for the perfect president, and that only is Jesus Christ. Y'all thought political season was over. I was going to get one more in. <laughs> but now listen, Peter tells us while we wait, listen to what the apostle Peter tells us. First Peter chapter 2 says this, verse 11 says this, beloved. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. As we are waiting for our Messiah, as we are waiting for a better country, Peter says this, I urge you, my brothers and my sisters, as aliens, if, as strangers, as foreigners to this world, I urge you to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Paul echoes and expounds on Peter's thoughts in Romans 13, 11 through 14 when he says this. Don't get uncomfortable. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. And I put in parentheses right here. What I'm about to read to you from the Apostle Paul I think is a great word for a young church. Young church, are you ready? Good. Apostle Paul says this. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And just in case you were thinking, well, what are the works of darkness? Good old Paul writes it in here. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Paul says not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, 
and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I loved this one, especially when it's right after New Year's. <laughs> in other words, Paul is telling the church who finds itself in this in-between time, stay woke. Sleep is a metaphor for a life of moral carelessness. Are you hearing me? Sleep is a metaphor for a life of moral carelessness, while salvation is viewed as a future reality that is drawing nearer and nearer with each day. Stay woke. And as I thought about how I could end this Advent series and at the same time start 2017, I thought there'd be no better way to do it than to instruct you from Scripture as your pastor on how we are to live wisely while we wait for Jesus to come back for his church. With that being said, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Scripture reads like this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, perhaps one of the saddest scriptures probably in the New Testament it says this, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Then Jesus makes this key statement. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus uses the imagery of a traditional Jewish wedding banquet to caution his disciples who find themselves living in this in-between time. You see, the traditional Jewish wedding feast was interesting. The groomsmen and the groom would gather at the groom's house, much like we do today. And then they would make their way over to the bride's house where the wedding would take place most of the time at night. And then after the wedding was done, the entire bridal party would then leave the bride's house, go back to the groom's house for a feast. The Lord Jesus is talking about the wedding feast. He's not necessarily talking about the wedding in this section. Now, he does something interesting in this story in that he separates the groups into two categories. Did you catch that? There was the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. Ten of them. Five were wise, five were foolish. 
The wise are considered wise, not because their lamps are lit, but because they brought extra oil. Are you with me? Are you with me? The foolish are considered fools because, here it is, this is important. The foolish are considered fools because even though their lights are limp for a time, they do not have extra oil in their possession. Do you get that? Do you see how, so the wise have their lights lit and they brought extra oil. The foolish have their lights lit, but they brought no extra oil. Are you guys with me? Now, as the church and as Christians living in the in-between time, the reality of being in between, waiting for God's advent, his final coming, there are some important lessons that we can learn from this story. Now, there's two things I want you to know before we start. The first one is this. This parable is only a small portion of an entire section. This parable is only a small portion of an entire section. And this entire section covers the return of Christ, the delay of Christ, and the judgment of Christ. So in order to understand its meaning, we have to look at the entire section. Are you with me? The second thing is this. Our goal this evening will be more about identifying the characteristics of the wise than analyzing the foolish. We'll let the fools be fools tonight, all right? We're not going to look at the fools. We're going to identify what makes the wise wise. Because after all, when the day comes, I'm sure we all are going to be wanting to be counted as wise. So for my note takers in here, and I know there's some of you in here, we're going to discuss the three qualities that the wise have. And then we're going to conclude with a very unique purpose to Christ's delay. Why is Christ delaying? Why doesn't he come back so quickly? So, first characteristic of a wise, write this down if you're writing. The first thing is that the wise will endure. Say endure. Chapter 24 is incredible. The entire chapter is incredible. See, the parable is in 25. But you have to go back to chapter 24 to see the entire section. And the chapter 24 is incredible. And it's probably one of the more famous end-time descriptions. Even non-Christians cite this chapter. Maybe some of you have heard this. But it's in this chapter where we enter into a private discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples. And he's answering this question. The disciples come to him and they ask him, what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? And listen to what Jesus says. He famously remarks that you'll hear of wars and what? Rumors of wars. Nations will rise up against one another. Jesus will continue by warning us of famines, earthquakes, and an alarming frequency of natural disasters. Some by which the earth has never known. Now the earth has always had famines. The earth has always had natural disasters, but there will be an alarming increase of these as if the earth has never known such an increase. Are you with me? And then Jesus will make this telling statement. After talking about the signs of the times, Jesus will make this telling statement in Matthew 24, 12 through 13. He says this, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. You ever watch the news recently? Look, I'm not trying to say, oh, this is happening right now. I'm just saying recently I was reminded of this because it, or over Christmas time there was a son, I guess, that went to his mother's house and beat her to death with a bat. 
Now, I guess they found out that the son, and it's somewhere here in the Bay Area, I, I think they found out maybe there was some mental dis disorder or whatnot, but it's just so interesting to me. You ever see uh, maybe on YouTube or maybe even on the news, they talk about sometimes some of these young people will go out and just punch people in the face and knock them out for no reason. Some of you guys seen, some of you look at me like, you're crazy, I've never seen that. But there are just some weird, crazy things that are going on. And I think to myself, I'm not saying, oh, Jesus is coming back. Somebody got knocked out. What I'm saying is it's so interesting to see how people can be so what? So cold. Jesus says, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But then he makes this statement, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The wise will endure. You see, when it comes to following Christ, the wise will not consider wishy-washy Christianity optional. This is the part where the church, never mind. You see, when it comes to the following Christ, when it comes to following Christ, this is, the wise will not consider wishy-washy Christianity optional. In fact, just the opposite will be true. The Greek word for endurance is hupomone, and it implies an active and energetic resistance to defeat. That allows calm and brave endurance. I love how endurance is defined. Listen to the definition of endurance. It means to hold one's ground. That preaches right there. Not to be moved. Not the negative things of 2016 has caused me to step back in my discipleship. Or I'm going to stop serving Jesus because 2016 didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Endurance, the wise will endure. The wise virgins will endure. They will not be moved. They will have a steady endurance. They will hold their ground in the midst of conflicts. To bear up against adversity, to hold out under stress, to stand firm, preserve under pressure, to wait calmly and courageously. This is the definition of endurance. You see, in the midst of trial and trouble, instead of being tempted to let go, the wise will only hold on tighter. They understand it's time to hold on tighter. And although they may be tempted to flinch, the wise will refuse to be shaken or knocked off their ground. No matter what the media feeds you, no matter what the latest scholar in the academic world suggests, and no matter what culture declares as normal and true, the wise will remain faithful to the truth. They will hold on to the truth, and they will endure in spite of conflict, adversity, Second thing that characterizes the wise, the wise will understand. Look at what Jesus says later on in chapter 24 and verse 25. He says this, see, I've told you beforehand. Interesting. In other words, Jesus is saying, my word has given you a heads up. It's like going into a game knowing your opponent's move before he ever makes them. What an incredible advantage that an intelligent coach or player would have over the foolish. You would be foolish to refuse the plan, especially if you were going into the game. And somebody said, look, I know exactly what this coach is going to do even before he does it. Jesus says, I have told you beforehand. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 16, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 16, 2 through 3. When it's evening... Listen to this. When it is evening, this is Jesus speaking, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. 
and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. Here it is. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the, times of the, or the signs of the times. Understanding is characterized by a disposition to comprehend and make sense of things. But the true key to wise understanding is called Christian discernment. I want you to understand this. It's called discernment. And if you're writing notes down, this is important. Write this down. Christian discernment is the heightened ability to determine the source of something. Let me say that again. Christian discernment is the heightened ability to determine the source of a teaching, a problem, a person, or a proposed course of action and recognizing whether it's divine, merely human, or even satanic. Oh, we need discernment in this place. As a young Christian or someone just stepping into you, you need discernment. We need to do a better job at recognizing. Christian understanding is not to be confused with the kind of knowledge or intelligence the world gives, but it's an ability to understand in partnership with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let me put this into perspective. Several years ago, I want to say maybe like eight, nine years ago, I was in the mall. In fact, I think I was at the Great Mall. And I was walking down the Great Mall. And um, there was a little booth. You know how they have those little metal booths? And sometimes the guys that work there, I feel like they're kind of creepers. Um, you know, they're like, I'm like walking with my wife. He's like, come here. Let me rub stuff on you. I'm like, excuse me. No. Anyways. So, but before it was creepers in the middle of the mall, it was Scientologists. Anybody remember that? There used to be Scientologists. Anybody be watching that Scientology thing that's going? I've been watching it. Yeah, I, yeah, I've been watching it. We, Jamila and I sit down and just like, wow, we record it. So, in fact, was the really funny thing is when I was in Bible school, we did a study on world religion, world religions, and I actually picked three different religions to go and interview what we be considered the leader or the pastor or whatever you call it. And so um, one of the places I visited was the Mormon temple. Another place I visited was the Scientology, uh, the Church of Scientology in San Francisco. That was interesting. And then I actually got to talk to a Baha'i priestess. One of these days I'll tell you the whole story, really interesting stuff. But one of them was the Scientology. And so we walked in and we sit down and they show you a video of um, Mr. Hubbard. And he would just talk to you about where Scientology came. Some of you may have even checked that out yourself. But, um, and I'm not suggesting you go home and YouTube it, but I am saying this. Back to my story, I'm at the mall, and I was walking, and what they have is these little, it almost looks like a lie detector. And they, and they have, like, these two cans, and they're, like, wired up and connected to this little, like, needle thing. And they're like, hey, can I get you over here, sir? Come here real quick. Come here. And so, you know, he gives me these two things to hold, and then he'll ask a question like, how is your relationship with your mother? You know, like, one of those types of questions, right? And it's just like... Right, yes. And thank God it was perfectly healthy and wonderful. And your needles off. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember he, he started to ask me all these, like, questions. And while he's asking these questions, I realized this was Scientology. And at that time, I kind of was vague, but I kind of heard about it. 
And I remember stepping back, like, eh, you know what, I'm not really interested. And he was just like, oh, come on, man, you know, let me tell you a little bit more about this, that, and there's these books and different stuff like that. Let me do a couple of more readings with you. And um, I remember he says, oh, by the way, like, what's on your shirt? Now, if you've ever been in sales or anything like that, you're always looking for a way to connect with somebody, right? And so, you know, whether you're always looking for a way to have a dialogue conversation. So this is what he was doing. He was trying to connect with me, not letting me walk away. And he goes, oh, what does that say? And I remember when he said that, I was wearing a not of this world shirt. Any of you know not of this world is, but it's a clothing brand. It's a Christian clothing brand. And I remember the shirt that I actually had on that day. And I remember saying, you know what, um, why don't you read it to me out loud? And he goes, okay. <laughs> and I, was, I remember that day that I happened to be wearing a shirt, Colossians chapter 2, 4 through 10 was on the shirt. Let me read that to you. It says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though I am absent in the body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the part that was on there. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by human philosophy and empty deceit. So he's reading this, and he's like, rooted in Christ, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by human philosophy and empty deceit. <laughs> according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and ruler over every ruler and every authority. And I was standing right there, right? And I said, and so, that's why I'll be walking away. <laughs> now, at that point, I was a young Christian. Now, I'd be like, so do you want to meet Jesus? Let me show you something a little bit better. <laughs> so what does this have to do? Remember, the wise will endure, but also the wise will understand. They will discern. You see, the wise will discern, and as a result, be less likely to fall away. Less likely to fall away from Christ, to fall away from the word of God into other religions and other philosophies. You see, it's no coincidence that when the concept of discernment and understanding are brought up in this scripture, in this section, that one of the things Jesus is specifically saying and dealing with are false Christs and false prophets who will lead many astray during the in-between time. You see, here is where the wise will understand. All heresy, listen to me, all heresy begins with dethroning Jesus and replacing him with Adam. Well, what do I mean by that? Even in the Garden of Eden, Satan tells Adam, you will be like God. All heresy seeks to demote Jesus, to lower him just a little bit, and to increase man. You see, where false beliefs promise progressive spirituality, they marry that with demoting Jesus. Paul summons the Colossians not to get caught up in that. 
Listen, progressive faith consists of deepening, not discarding the truth of Jesus. What false teachers call enlightenment or liberation, Paul calls elementary principles of this world. Now, let me just name a few. Rationalism, which desires to place all knowledge and reason at the highest level of human experience. Materialism, which seeks to demonstrate that the only thing that exists is matter. Or humanism. And our generation is steeped so deep in humanism. Listen to this. Humanism places reason, ethics, and justice of man as paramount. And will do this while simultaneously rejecting religious dogma as a basis for morality. So if it doesn't make me feel good, and if it doesn't feel quote-unquote positive, then I reject it. So even when the word of God starts to hit you where you don't like it, and starts to challenge some of your beliefs, that's when the foolish will back away. That's what Jesus is saying in Scripture. You see, when it comes to Christ, the wise understand and discern the times. As a result, the wise will not be led astray. They will not be caught off guard when the world begins to change and when people begin to enter into their lives and men and women begin to say things that may tickle your ears but in the end is looking to demote Christ in your life. Did you know that every religion either makes God too high or too low? Some religions suggest that God is so above us that he doesn't concern himself with our affairs or that all we are at best are his slaves, hoping to earn a place with him in the future. Other religions say that you are all gods, that we all have a divine spark in us. And what they did with God is they demoted him, saying you and I are gods. But I want you to know our religion is the only religion that says that our God is close enough to save us, close enough to be with us. He's close to us. He's close enough to, to reach out and grab us. But he's just high enough so that he doesn't get stuck with us in the pit. Do you understand that? In fact, there are some religions that if you believe in a Jesus, you believe in a God that actually would take the form of a human, come down here and put himself at the mercy of people he created and would come and die. They believe that's blasphemous. How dare you do that? See, but we have a God that came down. He died. But we have a God who's reigning in heaven. So he's close enough to save us. But he's high enough not to get caught up in the mess that we're in. Isn't that amazing? At least I think it is. The wise will endure. The wise will understand. Thirdly, the wise will be faithful. Matthew 24, 44 through 45 says this. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now listen to what Jesus says. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. This is an excerpt from the parable of the good and wicked servant. In which Jesus asks the question, who are the faithful? This is a parable that Jesus tells right before he tells the parable of the ten virgins. 
You see, when it comes to Christ, the wise will not have a fear of commitments. Let me say that again. When it comes to Christ, the wise will not have a fear of commitment. FOMO will not be a characteristic that defines those who enter into the great banquet. Verse 42 declares this, stay awake. In other words, Christians should not merely wait for Christ's coming, but instead they should be completing the work of the Great Commission. This may hurt a little bit, but stay with me. The faithfulness that Christ is referring to is not just showing up. The faithfulness that Christ is referring to that makes one wise is not just showing up. It's not just maintaining. Some of y'all need to even work on that in 2017. But I got news for you. And there's, a, there's an author by the name of John Brevere. I think he said it best. We often equate faithfulness with being steadfast, consistent, dependable, reliable, loyal, true, trustworthy, devoted, and truthful. But if we look at Jesus' teaching, he equates faithfulness with multiplication. Whatever God gives us, he expects us to multiply and then present it back to him. Here's a 2017 word for some of you tonight. You're not supposed to sit on your gift. You're supposed to multiply it. You're supposed to get in the game. Showing up may have been okay for you in 2016, but in 2017, God's calling you to do something with what he gave you. Here's a 2017 word for another group. You're not supposed to multiply it for yourself. Did you know that what God has given you, it's not meant to further your career? Although it can do that. It's not meant to make you financially comfortable. Although it can do that. But it's meant to be multiplied and given back to him. I recognize that this is not a happy life message. It's not a comforting text, but it's a missional text. And it's meant to disturb your inactivity and lack of commitment into activity and devotion that represents the kingdom of God. My question for everyone in here tonight is this. When Christ comes, will you be caught on mission? Will you be caught on his mission? When Christ comes, will you be caught on mission? Or will you be caught talking about how that year was the worst year ever? Because I feel like every year I hear that. It's time to stop it. It's time to stop it. 2017, will you make a covenant with God to be faithful? If you're not showing up, whatever that looks like, I'm not saying coming to church. If you're not showing up, will you show up? Well, what do I mean by that? Will you be faithful to the things that God has called you to do? Will you be faithful to a community of believers that love the Lord? Will you be faithful to accountability? Will you be faithful to the men and women of God that are surrounding you in prayer and encouragement? Will you be faithful to studying the word? Will you be faithful to growing in your understanding? Will you be faithful in 2017? Please show up. And if you're not using your gift, will you use your gift in 2017? Not for your own 
advancement, but for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And if you are using your gifts, will you use it for your own agenda? Or will you submit it to the kingdom of God? If you are using your gift, will you use it for your own portfolio? Or will you give it back to him to help build his kingdom? Good news, we have a missions trip coming up. Right? But you know what the local church does for you? I'm going to get on my little, can I get on my soapbox for a minute? The local church gives you a place to activate your gift for the kingdom of God. Consistently. The local church gives you a place to serve. The local church gives you a place to be under the word, to be with other body of believers, to pray together. And they annoy you sometimes, don't they? Come on, can I get an amen in here? Just don't look to your left or your right. Don't just stay normal. Like, yeah. Come on, they get a little annoying, a little drama. People be talking some stuff. Right? Right? It's like, wait a minute, I was supposed to go to church and people still talk. I'm going to tell you something. The body of Christ, man, we come in all different shapes, sizes, personalities. Some of y'all are different levels. <laughs> you know? Just remember who that one is and just stay away from them. It's okay. <laughs> and we just pray for them. And hopefully they hear the word. <laughs> but the body, the local church gives you an opportunity to activate some of these things. You may be saying, well, how do I activate my, how do I activate my gift? What do I do? Well, we got a vision night coming up. Some of y'all got that? But we give you an opportunity to do this. If not this church, find another Bible-believing church. It doesn't matter, but activate your gift. It's time to be faithful. The wise and the foolish. What made the wise wise? They endured, right? They understood, and they were faithful. And I'm getting ready to conclude. I'm gonna, at this point, I think I'm going to transition down here so my, buddies, so my buddies can come up. I promise this is going to get a little bit happier. Uh, last thing that I want to say. There's an interesting observation that needs to be made about this parable before we finish. Now, if you remember when we started off the parable... We notice something interesting about both groups. See, they both had a light, they both had a lamp, and they both had oil. It was lit. <laughs> Kids. You know what that tells me about this group? Both groups had some knowledge that the groom was coming. Isn't that interesting to you? When Jesus is telling this parable, he's not talking about the non-believer, the atheist person that's just completely opposed to God. You know, when Jesus is telling this parable, he's telling it to his people that are supposed to know and understand, which means he could be talking to Inspire right now. He's talking to a group of people who have an expectation that someone is coming. After all, both of them had lights, and they were lit. Yet only one group was ready while the other group was left out. You know what's interesting about our God? According to scripture, he knows how to distinguish between the wise and the fool. You and I may not be able to see it, but God knows the heart. In fact, scripture tells us he is the revealer of the heart. He knows the heart and minds of men. And so even though someone may be able to fool me, 
They can't fool God. You see, when Jesus is telling the story of the ten virgins, he's not telling the story to a group of people who reject God completely. He's not telling the story to people who completely deny God. He was talking to a group of people who know of God. And I want you to know, both of these groups go to church. They attend every Sunday. External, it's impossible to tell the difference. They both say they believe. They both know the right things to do and to say. They know some scripture. They know how to raise their hands. They know how to worship. But scripture has told us something interesting throughout. In Matthew 13, Jesus calls them the wheat and the tares. In verse 30, this is what he says. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them up, and burn them. Isn't that interesting? He says the wheats and the tares are going to grow together, and I'll reveal them at the harvest. In Matthew 25, he calls them sheep and goats. And in verse 32, he tells us, and the scripture tells us, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Matthew 15 calls it lip service and heart service. And Jesus plainly says, there's a people that draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And here in Matthew 25, he calls them wise and he calls them foolish. You see, like I said earlier, for man, it's impossible to know the difference. But if you look closely at this parable, you will see Jesus making it clear. Beware, God has a way of testing our faith. He calls it the refiner's fire. Sometimes your faith is tested through the fire. Now watch. By virtue of the unexpected, God will prove who is wise and who is foolish. It's the extra oil that becomes the element that allows them to press through the unexpected. There will be an unexpected delay and there will be an unexpected return. For no man knows the day nor the hour, not even the Son of God. As we wait for Christ's final advent, the question isn't whether or not we will wait, but how will we wait? And when he finally does Advent again, how will he find us, wise or foolish? Will the doors of the banquet be open to us or will they shut? And will he say those dreaded words? Think about that. How does Jesus discern between the wise and the foolish? And he does it by the unexpected. He delays. And he doesn't tell the time or the hour in which he comes. So in that in-between time, will you be wise or will you be foolish? That's the question. And God has built his church to be a place for you to come and enter in so that during that delay season you'll be faithful 
you'll endure and you'll discern knowing the source of things that are coming against you and this is what my hope is to lead a church in the in-between time full of wise people because when I stand before the Lord that day I want to hear two things the first thing I want to hear is well done my good and faithful servant enter into your rest but I don't want to stop there I want to look back and I want to see the entire church that I led enter in I don't want to lose anyone now we love baby Jesus but it's the conquering Jesus that we have a problem with we love baby Jesus but it's the conquering Jesus the one that holds us responsible that we have a problem with I'm going to make this last statement because I feel like I've made it before, but I feel like I want to make this. For some of you in here, I'm saying, well, that's not a good God. Why would a good God have a hell? Why would a good God manipulate us like this? Why would he do anything? I just want to tell you this. Hell is not the pitchfork devil, you know, torturing you over and over again every night, poking your eyes out. You know, that's something that medieval times has perpetuated. That's not hell. See, hell was made for the devil and his angels, so he will be in hell too. So he won't be torturing you. But hell is hell, not because of the torture or the torment. Hell is hell because it's a place, it's empty. It's a place void of the presence of God. And that's the worst possible thing, to be banished outside of his presence. That someone would ask again, why would a good God do this? He's also a just God. And I'm going to tell you something. God only gives you what your life desires. If you live a life that rejects God, then why would he invite you to live with him? He's only giving you what you wanted. If you don't like his word, if you can't align yourself with it, I just don't, I, I, I despise it. I don't like, then he'll give you on that day what you want, a life without him. Heavens, heavens, because he's there. So next time you think about this cruel God or this angry God, I want you to know that those who will enter into this place of eternal punishment are only entering into the place that their lifestyle asked for. If somebody your whole life said, I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't like you. I don't like anything about you. I think your rules suck. I don't want to come to your house. I don't like your people. I don't like who you hang out with. I don't like your family. I think your son's a moron. But if somebody said all that, I highly doubt you. Like, oh, come in, you know. Right? So, okay, okay. If you don't want to be, I love you, but if you don't want to be with me, then go. So what I'm just simply saying is this. Please don't get it wrong. We serve a loving God, but we also serve a God of justice. And we also serve a God who gives you what your lifestyle declares it wants. Let's pray. Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city lives. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspiredchurches.com.